Welcome to Mature in Every Way, a study of James. I'm Renee Adelsberger. We're going to walk through this book verse by verse. For more from me, visit pedestriangod.com. Let's get started. James uses rhetorical questions as he nears the conclusion of his letter. They start off with simple question and answer. Are you suffering? Then pray. Are you cheerful? Then sing praises. Are you sick? Well, that's a little bit longer of an answer. Verse 14 begins the discussion of what to do. First, you call the elders. You might call them pastors or deacons in your church. They will come and pray over you. So far, so good. This next part could easily be something you've not witnessed or experienced. James says that the elders are then to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. I have never been anointed while I was sick. But then again, I've never been much sicker than the flu. I did once have oil anointed on me during the prayer portion of a Hispanic Pentecostal service, but that's kind of another long story for another day. We'll chase that rabbit trail another time. But verse 15 tells us the prayer of faith will save the sick person. Does that mean every faithful Christian who prays for healing while battling cancer will be healed? No, that's not the type of saving that James is referring to. The rest of that verse goes on to say that if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. God listens to our prayers. Our prayers are conversation with the creator of all the universe. How often we forget that. He mentions Elijah in verse 17. Elijah's story regarding the rain begins in 1 Kings 17. You should read it. I have a friend who believes that you should never, ever, under any circumstance, tell someone that what they are doing is sin. I have had one opportunity to have a conversation with her, and I question why she believes that. She didn't have a very strong scriptural argument. She mostly believed that correction can never be done well. I, however, disagree. In fact, James ends this entire letter with this sentence. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. But you must not take this verse out of context of the entire letter. How many times has James reminded us that we need to control our tongue, be peacemaking, gentle, and pursue unity? Quite often. In fact, that's what makes the book of James so convicting. So there are right and wrong ways to warn people that they are straying from the truth. Matthew 7 verses 1 through 5 are a great example. You studied it in your homework. I'll read it for you. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite? First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. 
This passage warns that anyone who points out the sin in others without first repenting of their own sins is a hypocrite who will be judged by those same standards. But the passage doesn't say not to point out sins. Instead, it says to first address your own sin. Last night, I was combing the six-year-old's hair, and I started a conversation with her about the danger of saying, I know, in arrogance, especially when saying it to adults in authority over her. Mm Mm-hmm. Like me. That very night, we told her not to take her usual shower before bedtime, because we had been traveling and we got home late. We told her as we walked in the house, she would need to take it in the morning instead. She rounded the corner and Kevin called out gently, wait, come back, because he had forgotten to say something else. She threw her hands toward the ground and rolled her entire head and hollered without a shred of patience, I know, I know, you already told me. But in fact, she didn't know. What Kevin had to tell her was completely unrelated to her needing to take her shower in the morning instead of at night. It was actually really good news about the next day. But she allowed herself to get so frustrated and she assumed that she knew everything. When she eventually calmed down enough to listen to the other thing Kevin had to say, she marched off to the bathroom to get ready and, well, you might have guessed it by now, took a shower. How quickly and easily our arrogance leads us to disobey. It wasn't a huge deal. She wasn't in trouble. But it was a clear reminder that she and I are a lot alike. When I get myself convinced that I am 100% correct, I stop listening, which is often what makes me wrong. I don't often comb her hair after her shower, but I did that night. I wanted to create a moment to talk to her in order to share how often I fall into sin's trap when I convince myself that I know everything. Just like she thought she was correct, and almost missed out on the good news from Kevin, and then did mess up on the rule she was given about the shower, I also mess up when I convince myself that I'm right. I shared with her some ways that I battle that sin in my own life and gave her some tips on how to overcome it. I tried to turn it into a learning moment and help her understand that no one is perfect. We don't have it figured out, but we can help each other in so many ways. We can serve as that kind of gentle guard for others. James says that we will save a soul from death. That means we can come along the work of the Holy Spirit and help a person to understand that heaven and hell are a reality. Their faith in Jesus Christ is the defining question of where they will spend eternity. I am thankful for the family, teachers, and friends that God has put into my life to serve as guardrails and help me walk more faithfully with Him. I warned you on the outset of all of this, James is my favorite and least favorite book of the Bible. He doesn't focus much on the history of kings, he doesn't have a whole bunch of genealogies, he doesn't give us songs or psalms or proverbs that we need to interpret. Instead, he speaks to us directly and lovingly. He jumps from topic to topic to help us as we face daily life in this world. Along the way, he doesn't mince words or prance around tough subjects. He both encourages and reprimands. 
He uses rhetorical questions to keep us engaged and leaves us with five chapters full of truths and sound reminders about what it means to live as a follower of Christ in a broken world. Just like a person who is able to tame his tongue is mature in every way, so often James wants us to be that way also. He wants us to learn how to become mature in every way in our walk with Christ so that we can live a life glorifying to Him, so that we can live in our right relationship with Him and enjoy the beauty of being in His presence. Father, I ask that you will continue to use the words of James to mature people in their faith. Encourage us to memorize your scripture so that it can help us and give us wisdom during temptations. God, give us strength to ask for wisdom, knowing that you can and will give it to us. Break the cycle of sin in our lives so that it will not conceive and bring forth death. Extinguish our dangerous tongue so that our words will bring glory and honor to you. Give us a love for the people around us so that we will care for widows and orphans and not show favoritism. Help us to submit everything to you, our hands, our hearts, our schedules, and strengthen our hearts so that we can faithfully live life on this earth until we die or you come again. Thank you for giving us the Bible in our own language so that we can study and apply it to our lives. We love you. Amen.